This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the 343 Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's topic is going to be early talent identification. This is something that gets brought up quite often on social media, on the sidelines, and even in the front office of some of our highest ranking teams in this country. So early talent identification. How can we improve it? Why do so many people get it wrong? And what is the gold standard? These are topics that we cover in today's episode. Now, before we get started, I do want to mention that this episode was cut short abruptly because there was a natural disaster happening down the street from my house and I was evacuated. My entire neighborhood was evacuated and you might hear the slightest bit of sirens in the background. I tried my best to edit all of those out, but you might hear some of those uh, throughout the episode. So please just try your best to ignore those. Uh, Everything's fine. I made it. I survived. All good. And Because we ended the conversation so abruptly, Gary and I decided to try to record again, which ultimately became part two of this episode. So what you are about to hear is what we are calling part one, and you will get part two in the future. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation between Gary and I, and we will get started with the topic of early talent identification after this quick message about our coaching program. Thank you so much for listening. When it comes to coaching education, being able to discern what will and won't help you can be a costly and confusing exercise. I know this because I've experienced it myself. It's frustrating. The internet is flooded with so much information. There are thousands of drills out there for you to watch. There are tons of things that you can try with your teams and with your players, but without context and without proper guidance from a legit mentor, you're not going to get the edge that you're looking for or the results that you want. That's what the 343 Premium Coaching Education Program gets right. It's rooted in the real experiences of coaching boys and girls soccer right here in America. As a coach, Brian Kleiben has faced the same issues like training just twice per week, kids missing practice, field congestion, pay to play, you name it. But by using the 343 framework and staying consistent with the methodology, he has been able to overcome the obstacles and produce college-level professional, and international caliber players. What the 343 Coaching Program offers you is unlike anything else in the country because it cannot be replicated. It's not theory or speculation like you'd see in a presentation, and it's not staged and scripted like you'd get at a convention. This program is the work of a master practitioner, his real art, captured and delivered to you in its purest form to help you gain an advantage and become a better coach. The program features videos of Brian mic'd up during actual training sessions with his own players and teams as they prepare for their league games and tournaments. This is the only program in the country that gives you this type of authentic, behind-the-curtain look at player, team, and coach development. So if you're looking for just drills, well, we've got those, but more importantly, we have the mentorship, the proven results, and the community of ambitious coaches that you won't find anywhere else. To experience all of this, consider joining the 343 Premium Coaching Education Program. You can find all of the details 
at 343coaching.com. There were three questions that I wrote um, that I wanted to ask actually before before we started or we can start with it. Um, but it's like, what is, what does the average fan need to know about this topic? What is, what do coaches need to know about this topic? And what do parents need to know about this topic? Or I guess a better question would be is who is this conversation directed towards or best, best, um, uh, directed towards. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like understood, who- understood. And I, and, and the, I think the reality is it's, it's geared towards all of them. It's a universal topic that touches all of them. So, for example, since we're going to be talking about a lot about youth and their ceilings and identifying their ceilings and when you can identify their ceilings, the parents are really going to be interested in that to see how far behind or on schedule or ahead their kid might potentially be and how urgent. Yeah, how urgent. What sense of urgency they should have. Um, with respect to their kid's training, you know, if the if the kid's already 13 years old, um, well, geez, you probably only have another few years before your your ceiling is locked in place. So you, you better fucking sprint like a motherfucker and and dive deep and put in way more repetitions and training sessions than you've done in the past if you're behind. Uh, and on the coach's front, yeah, like we're talking about the identification of players and and. And what player will make it, what player won't make it, the bubble that coaches find themselves in. So if they're coaching in Nebraska uh, and they have the most dominant team in Nebraska and they have a a super baller on their team that scores all the goals and dribbles by seven people and has been doing this since he was nine up until the age of 15. And they think, wow, this is a special talent. You know, well, hold on a second. That's in your region. And you're only going to know if this is a special talent or not once you venture out of that region. Come play us in Southern California. Go play a national uh, or a regional sort of tournament and then get your ass handed to you by just a regular old Southern California team. And if you compete and you're doing okay, maybe you lose, maybe you don't, the, the superstar kid doesn't score or whatever, it brings you back down to earth. And that's only here at the national scale. Go globally, go play Nick Cup, go play against Ajax or whatever, and really get your face smashed in. Then then you can start talking about being properly calibrated. Yeah, it's, it's for coaches too, to kind of – shake them out of their bubble a little bit or have a better understanding and appreciation um, when they're judging players. And then the average fan will fuck me. The average fan is listening to doesn't know shit about any of these things. Um, and they just need to know that what they're hearing isn't true. There's that. And there's also the, the possibility of, cause I don't want to shoot everybody down that, Hey, you're just a fan. You, you don't know shit. You never will. It's kind of like, Hey, listen guys, there's a way to up your your game in this front and it's studying studying the game and that means not just watching matches on the weekends but maybe watching rewinding uh watching plays over and over and over again see what's right see what's wrong uh calibrate yourself give yourself objectives or, or for example hey here's an 18 year old kid that i really rate Here's another one that I don't really rate. Do that for 10, 15, 20 players uh, and then track them over the course of years, you know, and after 10 years, see how right or wrong you were. And then you, that helps develop a feedback loop where you can start calibrating um, your eye 
so to speak, as to what is a good player and what is not a, bad, a, a good player. But if you find yourself not having done that in the past, well, then you're starting from ground zero, essentially. Anyways, that's kind of like that's kind of like the hope I also want to give the general fan. You can, but you need to start studying and a lot. So the the topic of talent identification and how early can somebody ID some a player that's going to be uh, elite level, or how early can you even rule out a player from from potentially being elite level is something that has been brought up quite often over the past. And it's something that you've, you've been vocal about in the past as well. And, and additionally, you know, what a player's ceiling might be, you know, a player might be demonstrating certain tech or certain technical attributes or tactical attributes at at a young age, but you know, do they have a low ceiling? Do they have a high ceiling? That's, that's another topic that's been, that's been brought up. And, and, you know, a question that I think is, is very relevant is you know how how late is too late how, how when does a player stop developing uh, when when is a player kind of locked into whatever technical or tactical skills that that they that they currently have you know is that age 13 is it 18 is it 24 these are these are things that are are, are frequently brought up and so i think we wanted to to discuss some of this and and some of the nuances of it and, and give people yeah a little bit of insight into into how we think about this type of stuff. So with that said, uh, maybe just your, your first reactions on, on this topic and, and what we might be discussing today. For sure. So there's a lot to unpack there. You touched on a lot of points that can be expanded more deeply. For example, when is a player's ceiling kind of cemented in stone? Um, and that basically means you know, the player can train and train and train and train until they're blue in the th- their face, technique, uh, soccer IQ, tactical stuff, but the ceiling is already set. And that doesn't mean that they can't improve, right? They can improve, but they aren't going to become Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, Pirlo, uh, Roman Riquelme, any of these sorts of players and their technique. Uh, because, you know, they're just too far behind. So that's one sort of topic, John, that we can explore further. And the other thing that you mentioned is uh, player identification. How early can you identify a player and say, ah, this is a player that has a very high ceiling, very high potential uh, to, to become a professional or, or an elite level professional? When can that happen? And it's a very, these things are very touchy subjects because, I don't know, at least here in the United States in particular, I know overseas there's a lot of discussion around this as well, albeit different no matter what they try to tell you here in the States. It's a touchy subject here because, you know, practitioners on the one hand want to say it's it's damn near impossible or very difficult to identify players too early. Um and I think it's kind of a way of covering their ass, one. And two, I, uh, I sincerely think, just from my experience, they just don't have the, ca- the capacity to identify players. They just don't know. They don't see it. They don't have the pattern recognition. And we can dive into why that might be also uh, the case. So that's on the practitioner side of things. And then, you know, on, on the general fan base side of things, 
or if we're talking about youth players, parents and, and their belief systems, they, I think in general, they don't want to believe that once you reach a certain age, be it 15 or 16, that it's game over, that it's not going to happen for you. You know, if their, if their objective was to become a professional, um, or beyond or get a college scholarship that, you know, once you're pretty much age 16, the, there's limited upside there. They don't want to hear it, you know? Um, so it's touchy. Everybody wants to fall on the side of nobody knows anything. And so long as you work hard and you keep working, you're consistent, your dreams can still come true. So I'll leave it there, John, and see if you want to probe further or contribute uh, your own opinion and thoughts. I'll contribute this is that one thing I've said before, and I've gotten a lot of a, a lot of blowback from saying this, and it's something that I, I, I wholeheartedly believe is that, yeah, a player does reach a ceiling, most likely in their in in their teenage years, whether that's 16, 17, 18, 19, but they're they're going to hit a point where they don't develop the way that people talk about development or reference development. And I think that there's a mix up there when people use that word. And a lot of times people use the word development, meaning like technical things, you know, the way that they strike a ball or dribble or something like that. And so people will say, Oh yeah, the player just needs a little bit more time to develop. And the unfortunate truth is that they're really done developing at, at, at that age. They're not going to improve their skills. Um, very much in my opinion uh you know what what does change i guess as the player gets older is you know the mentality aspects the psychological aspects you know that that can certainly i think be worked on even though there's a a low ceiling um sorry not a low ceiling but a ceiling that they'll hit in their teens as well but becoming a professional like that's a whole new thing that they have to learn how to become uh, and that happens in late teens early 20s things like that but as far as like technical development i think that that's pretty much done at a at a very early age and people think that oh when josh Sargent moves to the bundesliga team you know he's going to continue to develop uh, like he's going to develop his the way that he can strike a ball like, eh, I, I don't think so i don't know how you feel about that yeah i think i think you do continue to develop for sure you get smoother you get more precise uh, all these things do continually improve the what i'm saying and, and is that your ceiling is meaning how far how much more you can develop is is already capped so for so for example by age 16 or 18 or if you want to pick a number let's pick 18 okay just to make people feel better um at 18, what I am claiming is that how far, how much further you can go in technical development is already set. For you to get there to your ceiling, it may take you another year, two, or five years. You'll continue improving your technique, but you're always going to asymptotically reach that ceiling that was established when you were 18 because your core, your fundamentals, and if you want to go into biology and, and be a little bit you know, speculative, your, your neurons have already developed a certain way, you know, of, of how to strike the ball and what your biomechanics are like. And everything's already established by the time you're 18. So you do keep developing. It's just, you're not going to surpass that ceiling, which is where 
the Riquelmes of the world are, Pirlos of the world are, insofar as their technique. You will not reach that because Riquelme at age 18 or Pirlo at age 18, if you compare the two, Pirlo at 18 and, and I don't know, uh, Weston McKinney at 18, Pirlo was already so far ahead in technique, if we're just going to isolate it to technique, so far ahead in technique that Weston can keep training, 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 but so does Pirlo at age 18, keep training, training, training. Okay, so you're never going to catch up to the guy. It's just not going to happen. Does that make sense? Like you, there, your, 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 your ceiling is just so far below what, what Pirlo's ceiling is at age 18. Yeah, it makes sense. And then it also, it also just kind of goes back to the early identification of these players that have the potential, that have, I guess, the potential of, of having a high ceiling and how you can how you can nurture those players starting at a at a much younger age than we as Americans traditionally or generally um, identify and, and then try to um, uh, nurture talent. Which yeah, here I think that we do it far too late. You know, we we might not uh, start identifying players till 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, and by then, yeah, you're already reaching that that ceiling. Um, and, and you kind of mentioned, you know, I, I think, uh, about the early identification of players. And so there are now, I think, I think we're, we can kind of talk about like the benefits of, of, you know, that early identification, but it's also a taboo subject because people don't want to believe or, or they don't want to, uh, think that specializing that early or putting the kids in that type of environment so young, uh, they don't want to believe that that's a that's a good thing for them. Even though for some players it's a gr- fantastic thing. Sure, um, I am one of those very few people who um, think and believe, and it's from experience. Okay, it's not me cracking open some sort of book that some biographer, you know, uh, wrote about somebody. That you can absolutely identify age 10, 11, 12, 13. You can identify who, what players have serious, serious potential to reach the highest levels of the game. Um, I mean, there's a word for this in other areas, in, in music, in mathematics, in other sectors or aptitudes. The word is prodigies. You can identify, hey, this kid has the capacity to be a prodigy or is a prodigy. He can already at age 10, 11, strike a ball. uh, Like, I don't know, like a professional 18 year old player can. Um, And so when you spot that, I don't see what is wrong with us being able to declare that first you can spot it. Okay. And two, why can't you say, Hey, this player has potential to reach the highest levels of the game. People get upset about that, and I don't understand why. Um, I think many times people confuse it with me saying that it is a prediction that the player will be a pro or that the player will be a Champions League caliber player or that the player will become an international and play World, World Cups. I'm not saying that. That truly can't be predicted because there's so many other factors in play such as yeah the mentality thing john 
maybe at age 16, girls become a big distraction or a very high interest or a priority for the player. Same with maybe, I don't know, having their own apartment at age 18 or they have uh, family issues or God knows a myriad of situations. And yeah, the player falls off the trajectory that his God-given potential and, and that he's worked at you know, knocks him off the professional playing career trajectory and he doesn't become a pro. Or maybe he does become a pro. And then, I don't know, like Balotelli has bad habits, parties all the time, maybe drugs enter the picture and, you know, that kills his career too. And he doesn't fulfill the potential that one saw age 11. Or maybe he is in a club environment um, where they don't play young players or they're, I don't know, generally incompetent in the front office and they can't identify players and who's better than who and opportunities don't come around and the player's career gets pretty much thrown in the in the dump because of that. So there's so many things that can derail a player's career. I am not saying that I can identify at age 10 that this player is going to be a world-class Champions League player. That's idiotic what i am saying is that you can pick out these special players and say this player has the potential to become those things and intrinsic in that statement that also i guess means and pisses people off that i'm basically saying that i can also identify the players that do not have that potential and yeah i do have i am saying that you've said in the you've said in the past that sometimes people maybe like yourself just have an eye for this and it's it's hard to measure or quantify this type of uh, identification skill. Um, and, and you've also said, you know, you have years and years and years, decades worth of, of watching games, watching games in person, watching games on TV and, and those types of things. And so you have these examples that are kind of, you know, burned in your brain of what's good, what's bad. And, and maybe that's what makes it hard to describe how, to, or how to quantify you know, being able to say this player has this potential, but I, I wanted to kind of see how you might respond to that. Cause somebody, you know, if somebody asks you, well, how do you know Gary? And then you say, I just know. Well, okay. Well, two, well, two things. One is I just, I know because I've tracked players. I listen, I've identified players in the past. I mean, there's a huge multi-decade history of this, but we can bring it back home to, uh, my personal experience on the field, you know, especially with this special group of players that have now graduated to become professionals, remind me about that. But for decades, yeah, you watch the game, you study the game, you identify players, you know, that you're watching when they're 16, 17, 18 international players and say, ah, this player has this potential. So here I am as an 18 year old kid, for example, doing this sort of stuff and then watching the evolution of that player and the other players for 10 years or 15 years and seeing where they end up uh, being and taking a pretty much keeping track in your head, how right you were or how wrong you were. So for example, one case where I was very, very wrong. And I've said it multiple times with was with Sergio Cunagüero. Cunagüero, I saw him when he, you know, 16 years old, and like this player, this player has nothing. He sucks. He's terrible. Um, saw him in the Youth World Cups. Also, I didn't think he was that great. And look at where he ended up being. Look how good he ended up being 
technically speaking and tactically speaking. I'm not talking about pedigree. I'm not talking about the guys at Man uh, City, uh, Premier League, you know, all-time goal scorer. I'm not talking about those superficial stats. I'm talking about how the player receives the ball, how he moves the ball, what his biomechanics are, you know, off the ball. All of that is part of the package. I was wrong. And I think I was kind of persuaded. I'm trying to let myself off the hook a little bit. Um, I was kind of persuaded back in the day when there was so much Argentine media saying, ah, Aguero's only part of the, the national team system and all getting all these opportunities because, you know, his father-in-law is Diego Maradona. And there's all these other networking uh, situ- circumstances going on. Maybe that influenced me a little bit, but I don't think so. I think I just got that one wrong. But there's nu- numerous others that over the decades that I've gotten right. And you start shaping these patterns in your head as to what is a great player. So 20 years ago, 25 years ago, or whenever I was watching and studying, not just watching, but studying games, John, and pausing the game, rewinding the game, watching clips over and over and over again of the global greats. And that has burned an image in my mind, formed patterns in my mind of how they receive the ball, how they release the ball, how they move, how they dribble, how they pause the game, how they distribute in di- with different technique. That is the standard that I've developed over 25 years. So now as a practitioner, being a coach on the sidelines with young kids, you're using that as your standard. And then you do pattern matching. Look, Efra strokes the ball like James Rodriguez. Efra strokes the ball like this guy or like that guy. And it looks just like it. You know, it's not that there's he's he's copying. It's not that it's robotic. That is what he's doing. And so you can see at age nine, in, in his case, or age eight, actually, in his case, you're like, wow, this is a prodigy. This is an outlier here. He has the potential to become something enormous in football. And the same goes with the other groups of players that people are familiar with. Alex, Uli, um, Leo, all these guys. From a very early age, this player has the potential. And yeah, with other players, you can see how they stroke the ball. And not to pick on Weston McKinney, I'll say Weston McKinney because everybody's aware of him. Okay, Weston McKinney doesn't have that. He doesn't stroke the ball. He doesn't receive the ball like the world's greats. And no matter how much he trains it, he will never have that. So that's player, that's, that's player ID from an early age. Who has the potential? Who doesn't? And, and you know, you asked me the question about, oh, well, Gary, you know, if people say, well, how do you see it? You know, well, I kind of explained how I saw it. I have these patterns in, ingrained in my brain. And there is no way that I can transplant these patterns into somebody else. You, when, I, when I talk about how a player receives and distributes and moves and the biomechanics, these are things that are just not quantifiable. Uh, for others, maybe they see a pass completion percentage. Hey, this player completes 89% of his passes. This one also completes 89% of his passes. And, but it's not the same. Okay? Or this player you know, is able to distribute. He's the right back and he's able to ping a 40-yard ball to, to the left winger. Okay, this other player can also do it. But if you look at it, the stroke is different. And when the stroke is different, there's a different quality to it. When there's a different quality to it, there's a different consistency to it. And these are things that you cannot measure. So you cannot teach somebody 
necessarily, hey, look at this number or that number or this technique versus that technique. It's not tangible. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's always actually been kind of funny to me. I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this, but because of your background in science and math and you know how important statistics and, and those types of things are in those fields, and then and then you flip that to soccer and it's like well, now there's like an explosion of statistics and a lot of that stuff in my opinion i don't know how you feel about it but so much of the statistics that we that we see used in soccer really in my in my opinion don't matter like it it it, it it's actually uh, it, it just muddies the water of you know what's good and what's bad no for sure most of it is nonsense some of the things uh, you can glean some insight from um, but not in the way that, that the general, that the mainstream media, the general public uses it. Uh, most, most of the way it's being used is, is simply not useful and not representative of reality. People really, people really don't like to hear that something is not measurable. They always, you know, especially if you're not a practitioner, you don't have, uh, a lot of experience or deep level expertise in the domain. You always want to refer to well, let's be objective. Let's stick with the facts, right? This player plays on this club. This player plays on this club. Club A is more is uh, better than Club B. Which player is better? Or this player, you know, scores this many goals at this club and this many goals at that other club. Uh, player A is greater than player B because of X, Y, and Z. No, I'm sorry, but it doesn't work that way. Hey guys, real quick, I wanted to interject because you are about to hear us discuss something that we've already briefly touched on, but right now Gary's going to go a little bit further and provide some new insight into this topic, so it's worth paying close attention. Specifically, we are talking about the players that are possibly doing something great, but they are in some obscure location in the country. That brings up a topic that I wanted to ask you about too, and it and it revolves around context and we spoke about it just a minute ago before we started recording but you know a player that scores six goals a game versus a player that scores two goals a game but one of those players is playing in Missouri and one of those players is playing in Los Angeles and and the context right there really really matters um and, and so maybe uh, just your your thoughts about that because what you told me earlier was was really fascinating sure um, gosh. Okay. So this goes back to player ID, you know, and being able to identify a player's potential and how early you can identify a player's potential and the pitfalls associated with that. So for example, you said Missouri. Okay. Let's take Missouri. If you're in Missouri and you're a coach or a parent or anything associated with a particular youth team, that youth team smashes everybody in Missouri. It's the best team in Missouri. And there's a particular player on that team that is just the leading goal scorer, just dribbles by five people, you know, scores uh, a ton, assists a ton, um, does everything you would think is wow, you know, wow factor. Great. But that is in Missouri, in that bubble, in that context. And it may lead someone to make an incorrect conclusion to think that this player has pro level potential or global level potential european level uh professional potential maybe but maybe he's nowhere close to having that sort of potential because 
you, you know, your, your, your calibration is just off. Um, for example, take that team, have it compete against a team in Texas or in Southern California, and maybe you get your ass handed to you 8-0. And then that's an eye-opener saying, wow, like I had no idea. And that player that was a star player, the best player in Missouri, can't do anything, can't dribble by a single person on the Southern California team. Then that changes the narrative, doesn't it? It changes the perspective. And I haven't even gone to the global perspective. Take that team or that player to Europe. What can he do there? Well, if he's getting smashed and he can't do anything, you know, against uh, uh, SoCal players, you're probably not going to be able to do anything over there either. So that is the uh, common pitfall. The same happens here. And if you're in Southern California and you're the best team in Southern California and you win regional titles, you win state titles, maybe even win a national title and you think you're God's gift, you know, and you have this great player and you think he's God's gift because he has all this hype and he scores all these goals. Okay, but if you haven't gone to Europe and you, if you haven't seen nine-year-old, ten-year-olds, thirteen-year-olds, fifteen-year-olds, eighteen-year-olds in Europe and followed their trajectory throughout and their pro path and what they ended up being, you may be completely wrong too. And I think, John, in general, most of the time, what ends up happening is the people making these judgments are wrong. And so since they're wrong, they think nobody can, can judge potential uh, correctly. And so here we are talking about, Gary, what the fuck, you know, you can't look at an 11-year-old and tell me, you know, how good he is or how far he can go. Is there, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out the right way to ask this question. Yeah, people, people are able to make predictions about players or, or things like that and, and be wrong about players. And I'm thinking about some American soccer media members specifically. And because they're wrong, uh, and because there's not necessarily a punishment for them being wrong or a reward, I mean, other, I guess there's more upside than downside when they make a prediction. But because there's no real punishment for these for these guys to be wrong about a player and, and pump up a player's, um, uh, I can't think of the right word, but that, yeah, just pump up a player's perception. That that becomes a, a a pretty significant problem too, because then people read or or consume their content and all of a sudden believe that Mix Discarude is a world class center midfielder, and you know he's purchased by Man City and blah 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 blah, and and, and then there's no punishment for the guys that were that were pumping that guy up and and miseducated or 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 yeah misinformed you know millions of people that consume that piece of media. Sure. No, no, I'll add to that. And again, it goes to what we were discussing previously. It's about developing an eye for talent and talent identification. And and to do that, you need to be properly calibrated. We just finished saying that one way to calibrate yourself is, um, you know, studying the game at a deep level, uh, not just watching matches and doing that for decades uh, with the intent of developing your I one and referencing and always studying the global standard, the best players in the world. Um, that's a good way to, of calibrating yourself. A very poor way of calibrating yourself is consuming the content and believing that reporters in our country have that expertise. 
then you're calibrating yourself to what they say and their aptitude or lack thereof. So, I mean, the choice for me is pretty clear, right? You don't calibrate your eye or train your eye to see the game that a non-practitioner reporter sees it. Yeah. On the note of, on the note of calibration, one of the things that, that Brian did with his teams on a regular basis was take them to compete against high level teams. And one of the things that you, that you took upon yourself to do, I think for almost a decade now is to actually show those games against high level competition. So showing the games against uh, the actual FC Barcelona, showing the games against Manchester City, show, showing the games against these high level teams and showing how, you know, guys like Efra, guys like Alex, guys like Uli and Leo performed against guys like uh, Kubo, against Ansu Fati, against Eric Garcia. And, and, you know, I'm just, I'm just naming uh, three guys that were from one team, you know, but, but, you know, they, they competed against Ajax, they competed against all sorts of teams and, and it was important. And you started to hint at this about how important it was that people see, you know, what, what American players look like against the top level academies from around the world. Like that should have been the standard, the global standard, the gold standard. And you've used those phrases and those words for quite some time. And I, I even remember, I think it was Keith Costigan even called you out like, Gary, what does global standard mean? Gary, what, why, why do you use this gold standard thing? You, or did you make this up? It's like, no, like, he, and here's, and here's the evidence about, you know, why it's important. No. Yeah. I mean, gold standard is a, is a term that I heard when, you know, I, I graduated school and went work at work as a scientist and engineer for Boeing a little while. And when you're developing some technology or product, you know, there's always a product in the marketplace that is considered the gold standard. Uh, and that is the measure by which everything else is judged. Um, and that is, that is a measure by which you can calibrate the quality of your own products. You know, how close to that standard do you get? Um, and it's important, you know, it's important to, to ground yourself. And then if you're, if you're grounded, you know where your deficiencies are um, and you know where your strengths are. So there absolutely is such a gold standard. You know, if you bring it to soccer, if you bring it to the sport, it's who is the best in the world, both in terms of maybe players um, and in terms of teams. Now, nobody's going to agree who is the best team in the world or who is uh, the best player in the world. I mean, those, those discussions rage on, but listen, you, you certainly do have a reference. If you're talking about a player and people want to uh, have a, an argument about Messi versus Cristiano, great. You're having a, a uh, an argument over those two, but you're not saying Messi versus, uh, Josh Sargent. You know, you're not doing Messi versus, Josie Altador, you're not doing Messi versus Jossi Sardes, you know, that is just ridiculous. You know very well that Jossi Sardes or Altador or any of these guys, they're not the quote-unquote gold standard. Messi is the gold standard. That is the measure by which you calibrate yourself. In terms of teams, you talk about the best teams in the world. I think it's pretty clear, you know, if you talk about, you know, the top 10 Champions League teams, um, you, you're probably on the right track of calibrating yourself to how far off you are from that. 
So that's the gold standard, John. And when we're talking about player identification at the early ages or at any age, be it 16, 18, 19, 20, and you have a good gold standard by which you are calibrated, you can see how far the gap is. When I make statements like, listen, Paxton Pomichol, Weston McKinney, you know, uh, all these players are just so far away from their global counterparts. It's just, it's really silly when I have to jump online and I'm seeing, you know, the hype machine saying that Cuisance, which just started playing for, started for Bayern Munich, um, that Paxton is better than that guy. I mean, I don't need Cuisance to be starting for Bayern Munich to know that that's not true. I can see Cuisance at the park here next to my house, see him caress the ball, touch the ball, dribble the ball, to know instantaneously that this guy is far superior than anything that we have in our midfield. That reminds me of the story that Brian has told me on, on a number of occasions about the first time that he saw Efra play, or not, not play, uh, just first time he saw Efra strike a ball. And that Brian was immediately just kind of like entranced with, with the way that this little kid, I think Ephra was maybe five or six at the time. And, and the story goes something like, you know, it was halftime of, of Ephra's older brother's game, which I believe Brian was, was Ephra's older brother's coach at the time. And so here's this little five, six year old kid running around. And then all of a sudden he like pings a ball from 30 yards away from the goal. And and it's just like, a but the, what we know now is like the classic Ephra stroke, but he had it at five, six, seven years old, and Brian right away knew that you know that was that was going to be something special. And so when we when we talk about you know how early can you identify things, it's like okay, well you know is he demonstrating something at that age at that time that yeah shows or you know potential like you mentioned earlier, you know potentially he could reach this this level because he possesses this skill. Doesn't mean that he's actually going to reach that level, but he could potentially reach that level. And that story is always kind of stuck with me when it's, when the conversation is around, you know, how early can you identify talent? I mean, we can, we can talk about this forever, John, uh, that team that Brian had that now have all graduated from youth soccer and have moved on. There's just so many players from that team alone that have signed professional contracts. Um, I don't know if it's if something like this has happened before, but what's truly unique is that he had this group of players since they were the age of nine and and took them all the way to the graduation point. So when we talk about development development or player identification at an early age, um, I don't I don't think there's too many cases like like his. There are too many, you know, points of evidence like his. Um, and just, I'll say it again, just because, you know, something is unprecedented doesn't mean it can't be done. So just because somebody or in general, the consensus is you can't identify at an early age who has pro player potential doesn't mean that somebody else can actually do it. Yeah. One of the things I think is most important for people to hear are, are, you know, what can you potentially judge about a player and how easy or how hard it is to judge these things about a player. And you've written about this in the past and you've, you've written about, you know, the physical side, the technical side, the tactical side and the psychological side. 
but those mean different things to different people, I think. And, and people might not understand, you know, how you can judge that about a player or, you know, what's, uh, you know, what type of, uh, uh, of an influence one of those categories could have on a player's overall trajectory. You know, if a player is, you know, great technically, but is poor physically, does that completely rule the player out? Uh, or, you know, vice versa, if the player is great physically, but terrible technically, does that mean the player has zero chance? Um, so, yeah, just talking about like the, the how, how you would judge the player. And, and these are getting to possibly some sort of quantification or measurement that somebody could potentially use when looking at evaluating a player. Yeah. Well, right off the bat, when you say measurement or, or quantifying something, uh, technique and brains or technique and tactical, tactical and brains I use interchangeably. Tactical is decision making, being able to read the game, understand the game, uh, predict what what's going to happen in the game, two, three, four moves ahead of time, always being a, a step ahead, identifying space. All that stuff is tactical. I just use brains for that so quantifying technique and brains man that's that's just super difficult if not downright impossible uh for reasons that we discussed earlier um the physical is quantifiable you know how fast uh can you run what's your stamina uh ground covered uh jumping ability heading ability all those sort things are quantifiable and i think in large part that's why many fans or of the game the general public really latch onto the physical component especially in this country um something that you can easily see or easily measure um the psychological again very difficult you know mentally strong uh being disciplined those sorts of things are also difficult to quantify. Um, but what is most important at the early ages is technique and brains. Um, because it's the technique and brains that, in my opinion, establish your ceiling. How high can you go in this game? The physical, you have to have some base level of physical ability. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be Cristiano Ronaldo, it doesn't have to be Yaya Torre, it doesn't have to be these physical specimens of the game. Um, but, it, you know, at the low end of the spectrum, you can be like Pirlo. Pirlo is the slowest person on planet Earth. You know, it runs like molasses um, uh, or Sergio Busquets. Same thing. A little twig who looks like Skeletor and can barely, barely run. But the technique and the brains is so off the charts that that got them to where they can be. You know, a world class player. But yeah, it's those, it's those four components that together kind of define the player. And if you look at each one of those components as like a bar chart, um, you know, you, you there's all kinds of, I mean, there's infinitely le different ways you can mix and match those four things uh, or the height of those four bars. Um to construct a certain player. I'm just saying technique and brains are, are, are the most important. The other two are still essential and you can't ignore them, but there's more tolerance associated with the other two. What else, John, do we want to kind of maybe talk about just to get it off our chest? 
and and if we come back and record again at least we got it off our chest once and then we can be smoother the second time around yeah um yeah the the classification of an elite player or calling somebody elite or calling somebody world class or calling somebody gold standard i think um is a topic that's been brought up over the last decade it's something that you've covered before that you've written an article about you know is dempsey world class uh and things like that because our media they don't do it as often anymore as, as i think they used to but they but they're quick to elevate somebody to you know elite uh you know maybe paxton being an example of that or Weston being an example of that, but like what really is an elite player and how can someone say that with authority or can somebody say that with authority? Yeah, no. Well, we touched on it, right? It's, it's about, it's the discussion of gold standard and, and if it's central midfield, what's the gold standard for, I don't know, uh, a 10 or an eight or something like that or a six. And you can name off the players, Riquelme, Pirlo, Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, uh, Verati, all these guys, that's the gold standard. And then if you want to talk about a player being world-class in our U.S. men's national team pool or p- having the potential of being world-class, well, you have to get that player, let's say it's Weston or Paxton, and then compare them to those world-class guys and see how big the gap is. If the gap is too large, then forget about it. It's never going to happen. Um, if the gap is marginal, then, oh, well, maybe you're onto something there. Um, but even more important than that, you have to be well calibrated and say, what did Riquelme look like at age 21? You know, uh, what did uh, Pirlo look at 21? What did Xavi Iniesta, how did they play? What did they look like at age 21? And then compare to what you're seeing now with Paxton and Weston. And that gap is the one that really shows um, the difference, but most people weren't watching those players when they were 21. And so they don't have those patterns in their brains and they don't have that recollection. So they can't do the comparison. And so here we are with people making judgment calls and saying, oh, well, they're still young. They can potentially reach those levels. You know, they still have five years to go until they're in their prime. No, guys, the starting point is so far below where the other guys were at their age. And I'm not talking about pedigree now. I'm simply talking about the quality of the player in isolation. There's, these guys are so far behind, you're never catching up. There's something called technical debt, John. I don't know if you saw this because I'm working on, on enunciating it or bringing it to life in the master class. Um, so technical debt is there's a that's the word or the concept used a lot in computer science um, that I really got exposed to in in a real way when I was doing some graduate work some some math modeling of whatever an electron scattering process so the, the details don't matter um, and then later when I started my first company in electronic medical records and how to write a shit ton of code for both of these applications. Technical debt is this. Let's say you write some code quickly just to solve a problem right there on the fly. And then as the code expands to have more features, if you wrote the initial piece of code poorly and not carefully, then you're accruing what's called debt. 
because at some point your software application is going to break. It's going to have bugs and you're going to have to re-engineer the whole goddamn thing um, because you let this debt accrue. You were sloppy from the get-go. Take another software engineer, another scientist who does things right from the very beginning and they won't have to do that. So months or years later, that other guy is so far ahead of you that you can't catch up because you're constantly going back and fixing your fuck-ups. How I relate that to soccer is Xavi, Iniesta, Riquelme, Busquets, Beard, all these guys, by the time they were age 18, they, were, they have been trained and training correctly since they were 9, 10, 11 years of age. Versus a Michael Bradley, Weston McKinney, Paxton Pomacall, who have not had the same level of training or have not had that same um, uh, technical foundation. So by the time that they reach age 18, they are just so fucking far behind the other guys. Their foundation is so broken that they will never catch up. All right, that's it for today's episode. Like I mentioned in the introduction, this is where we were abruptly cut off and we had to postpone the rest of the conversation for another day, which we did record and we will be releasing part two about this topic in the future. So please stay tuned for that. Real quick, we are going to end today's episode with a message about our player masterclass. And if you guys have any questions, please feel free to submit those and we will answer those in future episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Our flagship program helps coaches and trainers discern what is good for their teams and for their players. But now we've created a program for parents because parents, you are personal trainers too. Yep, that's right. And in order to properly mentor your player, you need to know what's good and what's not. Just like coaches, you and your player are flooded with thousands of training videos on YouTube and Instagram, but most of them are a waste of time because they aren't relevant. They don't translate to the real game, and figuring out what does and what doesn't, and why, is just flat out difficult, especially if you don't have a background in soccer to lean on. So we've taken Brian Kleiben's more than 20 years of experience working with teams and individual players from U9 to U19 and extracted valuable lessons that can help you navigate the minefield that is American youth soccer. But this isn't just about drills. That's only a small fraction of it. And to be honest, you can get drills anywhere. What you're getting with the 343 Masterclass are the cultural lessons and an education and philosophy that other trainers and courses don't offer. It's these elements that can help you understand the landscape, read the game on and off the field, and translate everything into real development for your player. Right now, you can get on the list for the 343 Masterclass. We are currently rolling it out little by little to small groups. To reserve your spot, go to 343masterclass.com. All right. Thank you for listening. Do you have a question about the topic that we covered in this episode? If so, 
We'd love to hear from you, and we will be answering some of your questions at the end of next week's episode. Submit your questions on Twitter or head to 343coaching.com to leave your question in the comment section. Make sure that you are subscribed to 343FM on your favorite podcasting app. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and many more platforms. And if you're feeling super generous, we'd love it if you dropped us a five-star rating or a review. And don't forget that you can find our entire library of podcast episodes, over 200 written articles, and our online courses that help accelerate the development of coaches and players using methods that have been proven to work here in the United States. Once again, all of that can be found at 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next time here on the 343 Podcast. Podcast.